When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to the Baseball Perspectives Milwaukee podcast, episode 10 I'm your host, Vinit Barod, and today we speak with Paul Noonan, who's a new addition to BP Milwaukee. Um, we have a little bit of group therapy about the Brewers going on a losing streak uh, at the end of the podcast, but most of it, we talk about the trade deadline, um, what where the Brewers are in the rebuild process and what that means, what that means for the roster, maybe balanced roster is a good thing. Um, things like that so lots of cool crunchy information uh right in there so dive on in uh but just before you do that be sure to rate us on itunes and follow us on twitter at bp milwaukee i am on twitter at vbarot87 and paul is on twitter at badger noonan uh so with me now is paul noonan paul how's it going going great how are you i'm doing well if people don't know you started writing for baseball prospectus milwaukee Kind of recently, right? Yeah, um, um, within the last um, like three weeks or so. And I, I only have two pieces up so this, thus far. I'll be doing more shortly. Awesome. And before that, you were writing for Ron Renneke, Stole My Baseball. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. We, me and my cohorts, Andy Schaff and Ruby Q, did that for many, many years. It still exists. Occasionally, things are even still posted there. Um, yeah. Well, if Ron Renneke comes back and manages the Brewers, I think uh, you guys would have to restart the website. Yeah, we're contractually obligated to. It's it's <laughs> actually in the bylaws and the constitution. They would uh, Stearns would bring you in along with uh, Ron Renneke and be like, yep. "All right, guys." <laughs> um, no, so it's great. It's great to have you on board, and uh, it's good to have you on the podcast to discuss that as well. We'll get to uh, the the most recent article that you wrote about. Um, you know, how to think about the trade season and all that. But I do want to start off talking, you know, really big picture. So I always talk about where the Brewers are. And I guess it's, I mean, I guess it sort of works like this in other sports, but definitely in baseball, it's nice to kind of, you can sort of see each team and know where they are in the quote unquote process. Like, are they rebuilding or are they in their window of contention and all that? And that's obviously gotten in vogue in the last five or eight years or so since the Astros start, you know, mainly the Astros started doing that. Um, so, and then the Brewers, you know, the David Stearns came from the Astros organization and then the Brewers started doing that. So where, you know, if you had to rate like where the Brewers are in the rebuild process, so to speak, where, what would you say? So even before the season, I would consider myself a rebuild optimist. Um, part of that is, I think, watching the, the Cubs rebuild happen and seeing how they stockpile and being interested in that. And um, so I think the Brewers are further along even than a lot of the most optimistic people out there. And I'm not, I am surprised they're contending this year. I certainly, you know, I'm not that prescient, but I'm not that surprised. Hmm. Right. I mean, I, I guess, the, they, I, yeah, I guess I'm definitely surprised that they're where they are, where they are. I mean, I'm, I'm happy about the rebuild as well, but in what makes you, um, Optim- like I guess you, I was optimistic also about the rebuild, yeah. but what uh, what made it less surprising for you than for myself and other fans? I guess um, if you look at like what the Astros did with the complete burndown, you know, with one of the worst teams ever, with drawing like six thousand viewers on TV, um, they 
they had a bad GM and bad ownership before they started, you know, onboarding baseball prospectus people and, and doing that, that painful teardown. But the Brewers were never really in that situation with Doug Melvin. Um, they were, I mean, they were before the last round of contention. But you only really need to do that big teardown if you, and if you get yourself in a really, bad, uh, a really bad way. And, you know, Ryan Braun is an aging veteran, but he's not that old. And they've started turning over assets, I think, bef- uh, with, they didn't let it get out of hand. They didn't get to that stage where you're overpaying a bunch of old guys. Like I, like I said, I live in Detroit. If you look at what the Tigers are about to go through, I think you can kind of see that about to happen. They have all of this aging, you know, all these aging stars, all these aging good players. They're probably going to have to do a kind of a painful teardown and rebuild. And I, I think, you know, the Brewers farm system was rebuilt very quickly, but they had a lot of good major league assets. And Stearns is smart. Doug Melvin was smart too. And they turned those into very good prospects, and some older ones and some ready major league talent. And they've, they've tapped all the wells. I, I guess I didn't think they would do it quite as well, but mm-hmm. uh, I did think Ryan Braun would probably still be around. It's a good anchor to have to make an offense work. I, 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 I mean, I guess I thought Luke Roy might still be around too at this point, but mm-hmm. <laughs> they got a good haul for him. Um, but like they've done everything across the board. Uh, you don't have to do, you don't have to make it painful on yourself if you tap all the talent that is available out there, you can get those Travis Shaw's and you can be competitive even if you're not contending. So I, I never thought they'd fall below, you know, the, the mid seventies in terms of wins. Um, mm-hmm. I thought they might still hover in around 500 while they were doing this. And they kind of are. Yeah. I mean, people talk about tanking, right? And yeah, exactly. I guess, and I, I, think I, don't, tanking, I don't think the Brewers ever did that. And I don't know if the Astros ever did that either. And obviously they would deny they ever did that, but yeah. I think tanking is overstated as, as something teams do. I think you can find a few examples of it. Um, I'm not sure if you can in baseball, but the Astros were just, I don't think they tanked. I think that they were legitimately poorly run and and became that bad. They could to, to make that team win, they would have had to spend like $500 million and Mm -hmm. that's impossible. Yeah. Um, So I guess the question for you is like, do you think the Astros were, you know, combination of bad luck and bad talent evaluation, or I guess on the flip side, the Brewers had a combination of good luck and good talent evaluation, especially on the position player side, when they were just like, look, we want to sell, you know, we got to sell our major assets like Lucro and Gomez and all those. But after that, we're going to get players that are good. We're going to get the best player we can that are still, that we can put on the major league roster and still win games. And I assume that was the Astros' intention as well, and they just didn't do as, as well in it? I, I think so. And I, I, they've obviously gotten lucky. Like, uh, even though Thames has tailed off lately, no one expected that out of him. I don't think anybody expected Travis Shaw to be, like, one of the 10 most valuable players in baseball. Mm-hmm. That, that's lucky. But it is also being very creative and expansive with how you view a rebuild. Like, mm-hmm. You view a rebuild, usually when you view a rebuild, you look at getting a lot of high ceiling teenagers that are going to take a while to develop. Right. And, 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 you know, maybe you, you fill that out with some other, some filler, but that, that's what you're going for with stars. You're going for your high ceiling guys uh, who are going to take a while. But that's not what you have to do. That's just what a lot of teams decide to do. Uh, part, I think part of that is teams, and not tanking, but not wanting to spend a lot of payroll on their major mm-hmm. league roster. But you know, 24 year olds are still young and they may not be cost controlled, but they're not as expensive as people who've hit their, hit their six years and are in free agency. And Mm -hmm. that's still worth doing too. And that's kind of what they've done. And they've, they've taken a few lessons, I think from the Cubs as well in um, what they've decided to stockpile. And I think it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward with a lot of major league teams, because I do think developing pitchers is really out of vogue and at some point that's going to flip on itself, but um, they, the way that they've, I mean, not that they have no pitching prospects, but they've really stockpiled up the middle athletes. And yeah. that seems to be what smart teams are doing in the minors. But if you look at what they've done at the higher level, your Shaw, your Thames, your, you know, it seems that you can find these kind of power guys more easily with other avenues. Right. Domingo too, like Santana's kind of a power guy too. Yeah. Santana's a good example of somebody that, uh, you know, was pretty much ready to play from day one, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. He did play. He played he did. 
he had like, I don't know, 30 plate appearances or whatever with the Astros where he stunk, but he was on a major league roster already, um, so to speak. And, um, but let's get right into your most recent article, actually, since you were talking about stockpiling and all that. Um, so a good portion of your article is about settlers of Catan and we <laughs> want to get into that, but, um, the main points that you're raising is like, look, the way the Cubs did this is they said, we're going to get Chris Bryant instead of, um, shoot, I forget who the big, best pitchers were available on the draft. Uh, was it Appel or someone? I think I, I want to say it was Appel. I think that's right. Um, and uh, instead of that, they're going to get like a college bat and that was Chris Bryant, um, which... Um, big news was a you know was a was a good move yeah and <laughs> by the way like if you look at like the the last 10 top college bats drafted it's like seven of them are good to great right it's yeah. a really safe thing to do yeah um and i think you were what you were just mentioned briefly but i think it's worth pointing out or stressing more is the idea that more and more uh teens and especially the brewers are saying look we haven't really developed pitching and there's there's one school of thought that says, look, Brewers just haven't never been very good at developing pitching. And I don't know how true that is versus there's a little bit of luck, whatever. But main point being, if we can get, if we know how to evaluate position players and we're good at evaluating shortstops and center fielders, hell, let's keep doing that, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's, the baseball has the most fungible market of any sport. If you hit on a system to, develop prospects even if they don't end up making it but just prospects that everybody can tell are good prospects Mm -hmm. you can turn that into other positions that other teams may be either better than you at developing or more willing to take on risk in developing um, to their detriment possibly right yeah i mean basically because baseball chemistry doesn't really matter right you could put a center fielder and a shortstop who don't really like each other on the same team. And then they will, if they start winning games, they'll start liking each other and they'll, it'll all be okay. Whereas if LeBron James doesn't like how somebody shoots the ball, he's going to say, no, I don't want him on my team, no matter how good he is. Yeah. Baseball is pretty much just plugging people into positions 99% of the time. I'm sure there are exceptions, but um, some of, some of the only, uh, the only rules that has to work is about that. So I'm not going to dismiss it entirely, but um, it, it, just in terms of the, their philosophy in, in drafting, um, I do think it's very Cub inspired. Um, if you look at who anchored the world series team for the Cubs and the pitching staff, it was, it was John Lackey, John Lester and Jake Arrieta, none of which were developed by the Cubs, all of which were brought in via trade or free agency. Um, and, it's not that developing pitchers is necessarily a bad or stupid thing to do. It's just that pitchers get hurt so frequently that it's a much riskier asset um, to, to bring into your organization. So if you're going to spend a first round pick and you know that you have a pitcher and a center fielder and you project them to produce about the same amount of value, if they make the majors, that pitcher has something like a 25% greater chance of not making the majors because his arm's going to explode at some point. That's, Hmm just what happens so right. um <clears throat> what about what, yeah what do you think about this argument that you know the but well the brewers can't do the way the cubs did it because the brewers can't just go out and sign a big pitcher they have to develop one i i think that there's some merit to that competing with the cubs is hard because they can spend basically infinite um uh, they're going to be worth uh, they'll be second or, th- or third to the Yankees slash Dodgers, maybe a few other teams. Um, but I think that free agency in baseball is really overstated as to what you can get back. A lot of people, a lot of, a lot of guys when they hit free agency are on the downslope and end up not being worth it. And I really think the way that you go about signing big names these days is through trade more than it is free agency. And the Cubs don't really have a competitive advantage over the Brewers in keeping the farm system stocked. So it, it is obviously an advantage, but it, I don't think it's something where you can't compete. If you can keep that stocked, if you can keep churning people through there and turn those into big players when you need to, you can cut a lot of that difference out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to go into like what, uh, what kind of, you know, the trade season. And obviously that's going to be the fun part of one of the fun parts of the baseball season, but let's start off since we were talking about pitching. Um, 
Actually, no, I was going to talk about the actual pitchers, but we didn't even touch upon your <laughs> analogy of Settlers of Catan. So, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, what, so explain to me what Settlers of Catan is. Okay. Settlers of Catan is a German board game. Um, it was the first major German-style board game to make it big in the United States. There's, now there's a lot of them. Um, I, I would say, uh, let's see. The, the major ones people have played are like, um, Seven Wonders, which I think is Keith Law's mm-hmm. number one rated right now. Carcassonne, a lot of people have. Ticket to Ride is a little bit more American style, but I, that's probably the actual most popular one right now and is great. So mm-hmm. uh, Car- Settlers of Catan is a resource uh, al- allocation game where uh, you have to build up cities and villages and roads in order to generate resources. So like a village or a city can build a certain resource. There's uh, wheat, wood, sheep, brick there might be a few others um the, the way the reason the game is compelling is because you are unlikely to be able to develop all of the resources you need to actually build things and so you're forced to trade with your competitors it's actually a really good teaching game for for having to rely on the people you're playing against um mm. which you know it happens from time to time right so um one of the reasons it's somewhat analogous to baseball and what we were just talking about is that the Brewers have been stockpiling. They, most of their top prospects um, are up the middle guys. They're outfielders. They are shortstops or maybe second baseman in the future, but shortstops right now um, for Isan Diaz. And um, if you have a glut like that, it is to your advantage to, to move those assets and turn them into something you need. And, it's how you have to win in Sellers of Catan. You can be the greatest sheep farmer in the world, but if you don't have any brick, you won't be able to build anything. Right. And so it is good to stockpile assets to a point, but at some point that's just a waste. And um, I, I am in favor of trying to trade for Sonny Gray if the, point, if the price is right. You know, mm-hmm. you can obviously overpay for anybody if, if that's what they're asking. And I think this is why the Brewers go about that strategy. I think eventually they will turn those prospects into pitching. I think that's part of the plan. And since they're contending now, there's really no reason not to do it now. They'll right. continue. To, they'll continue to draft. They'll continue to add to the farm system later. I mean, obviously, being good does wear down your farm system over time. Not drafting as high is not as good as not as drafting low. But once you are in contention, you do yourself a disservice by just punting on that especially when you've already accumulated a good deep farm system. Right. So, so let's, let's uh, talk about those resources. Cause you said, you know, there's a lot, a lot of outfielders. I mean, gosh, just, okay. So we got Braun, Keon, Domingo, right? That's mm-hmm. the main one, so to speak. Then there's Phillips, um, Corey Ray, Lewis yep. Brinson. Yep. And probably missing somebody, but that's all. <laughs> if you're counting at home, that's already a lot. That's, yeah, I, that's, I know there was a fourth on the top 10 preseason. I think that it switched around a little bit with Keston here making it in there. But um, I, I know they had four outfielders in their, their personal top 10 prospects. Three pitchers, already, two yeah, shortstops. That's so. already uh, 50, you know, 100% more number of outfielders than you can you know, normally want. In your right. Game. And uh, look, there's always a case to be made that you can have some more position players. People will get hurt. Bronze getting older all of that, and nobody's saying like having a nice fourth outfielder isn't valuable. or Right. Um, but, you know, Eric Thames can also play the outfield if his Aguilar is uh, doing well. And, uh, you know, Hernan Perez can play in the outfield, and Eric Sogard can play in the outfield if he needs to. And it's just at some point you have to say like, look, the marginal value that I'm getting from a Brett Phillips or a Corey Ray is this not helping me right now? Exactly. And I, I think there's another thing to consider too, which is that if you sign someone like Sonny Gray, he is team controlled through 2019. If you, if you are, if you go for it this year, if you make it great, if you don't, that's unfortunate. You can turn around and trade him for two more, or one to more years of team control at the trade deadline again. And often when you do that, you can recoup a lot of what you lost. Hmm. That. That happens fairly routinely. It's it's really not unheard of. So you have right. to look at this as as you know a few steps down the road too. Like right. things change, you can change too. This is and a fungible market. Flexibility later yep. on as things change. So I do okay. So let's go into the 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 trade different um, 
different ways that I've seen Brewers fans have been thinking about the trade, <laughs> right? The Sunny yeah. Gray is a perfect one. You know, that's they've been tried to Sunny Gray for a while, and uh, you know yourself and Kyle Lujanowski, and I'm sure a lot of other Brewers writers and fans have been saying, look, trade one of the surplus outfielders for a controllable pitcher. Now, the one problem is that. If you want a Sonny Gray or a controllable pitcher, you're not trading one of your prospects. You're probably trading three or four of them, right? So the other school of thought, and I'll let you, uh, you know, we can parse through what the different advantages and disadvantages are of the different ways. But the other school of thought then is instead of uh, trading, you know, three or four guys for one guy, so to speak, you trade just a Corey Ray or just a Lewis Brinton um, for a Pat Neshek or somebody who can help you right now um, this year, understanding that he's going to walk away at the end of the year. But look, this is the year they're ahead several games, or they were before we, uh, before this week, I had several games with the Cubs. Um, and uh, let's take advantage of that and, and go for it that way. And then the last sort of bucket I'm going to put this is, um, you know, people, uh, let's say people like Jim Breen and a lot of other very smart people yep. saying, Look, you always trade for the best value available. Don't worry about trading. Don't worry about two or three year windows. Don't worry about uh, rental versus not rental. You know, the way a good smart GMs like David Stearns do it is you go out and you see what value do I have out there? And if the value doesn't exist, guess what? You don't have to make a move. And if the value exists, you go and make that move, right? Right. Um, let me start with the last one. Let me, I'll give you my thoughts on the last one. I think that that makes a lot of sense as a general strategy. If for a, any given particular team, if I don't know what their roster is like, if I don't know what their, you know, how much in contention they are, I would say this makes complete sense. You trade for best value at any given time. But I think that particular bucket sort of ignores the reality on the ground, or at least doesn't take that into account as much as they could, right? Where, it, it should matter whether the Brewers are up five games or 10 games up uh, against the Cubs and leading the division um, at a trade deadline, or if they're down 10 games um, for, by leading the division. And that should play it into it a little bit because there's such a thing as um, win curve, right? We know that if a team yep. is uh, more likely to win, I don't know, 86 to 88 games, 84 to 88 games, that's the most optimal window where, you know, uh, let's say you're uh, set to win 84 games. If you add some value, you're increasing your playoff odds a lot more by adding two wins when you're worth 84 versus when you're worth 78 or if you're worth 94. Um, and to completely ignore the win curve, I think is a uh, um, little bit of a mistake there. I, I think that's, I would generally agree with that. I mean, I, I do agree. You should obviously always be looking and always be willing to trade at any given moment, depending on your situation and always be looking for, you know, a surplus value when you do so. And that's fine. And all teams do it. Um, but I, I almost think that's a separate issue from sort of the in contention, out of contention, targeted sell-off versus buy. Because it's one thing to say, yes, you should focus on everybody, but what you should do is focus on where you can improve the most. I mean, Junior Guerra's got like an 8.56 DRA. They have some <laughs> other guys who are struggling. Oh, he looked okay the other day, although not great. Um, like, you look at what's the best deal, but you also look like look at what's going to be the largest upgrade for you. Like, um, even if pitchers cost a little more than you, you know, think that they should, if you can get a you know, if you have a guy who's a negative one war pitcher and you can get a guy who's going to be worth two or three the rest of the way, that's huge. Uh, I don't know if Sonny Gray is that good, but compared to what they have, he's probably a pretty significant upgrade. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, it like, I used to call this the, the Uniesky-Bettencourt Uni theory. Um, he was terrible, um, but the one good thing about him was it was easier to upgrade one uni than it was to upgrade like eight average players. So, um, <laughs> so the best thing about uni is when you don't have uni. Exactly. It's a huge <laughs> upgrade. If you have 84 win team with, with uni on your team, you should be able to get to 90 pretty simply. <laughs> I like it. So, I mean, that's part of the consideration too. So like one of the reasons I like focusing on starting pitching is 
relief pitching obviously has grown in importance lately and uh, uh, successful teams have bought relievers and had to pay off. So I'm not against doing it. Uh, I do think it is an overvalued market. And I think teams don't tap their farm system enough for the levers. Even if you have a guy who's going to start later, I can't like most, most relievers are two pitch guys. Most farm systems have two pitch guys who can throw in the nineties. And like, Yes, there are some relief pitchers who are super great. In fact, I think Nishek is actually one of them. Mm-hmm. But um, I think like 90% of the time, that's actually not a great idea, and it'll backfire on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should, take, you should take advantage of it by trading your relievers away. In fact, if they wanted to deal Kniebel, I wouldn't be that against it. I wouldn't even necessarily view it as punting on the season. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. man. All right, I'll disagree with you. On- that's fine. It's an, uh, that is an extremist viewpoint, I will yeah, admit. Yeah. Um, but no, let me let me go to your your point about um, tapping into the farm system for relievers. One of the uh, criticisms that Stearns has gotten, which overall most people think he's done a good job and like the management that he's had, is about the bullpen. And look, it's pretty easy to rag on your GM about the bullpen, right? Every team can do it. It's nice. Yep, just be like, yep, my GM sucks at building a bullpen. Um, but uh, the one. Um, I think criticism that's valid is that he hasn't gone to the, he hasn't shuffled them around as much as he could have. Right. I mean, Rob Scow is still pitching <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, there, it took him a while to gosh, I can't even remember his name now, but uh, Neftali Felice oh, yeah. uh, was on there for a while. If in case you'd forgotten and uh, you know, he was signed and it took, took them a little bit, a little while to give him the hook as well. And um especially if there's all these pitchers available in double A AA and triple A, you know, why not bring them up and try them out? Maybe they'll impress you. Yeah. And I, I do kind of agree with that. I will say, I think building a bullpen is, is very hard to do just because there's so much variance. Mm-hmm. And it, I understand why they let guys hang like that for a while, because it's hard to tell on one right, or two right. performances if you're any good and you don't want to punt on them too early. And every bullpen has those struggles. Right. Especially um, if in a given month, they might pitch you yeah. know, eight innings or something. And then you're like, well, do I want to evaluate this guy based on the eight innings he pitched or what? Exactly. So on the one hand, that's legit criticism. On the other hand, I completely understand why it's gone that way. And like, even with Feliz, he was still throwing gas. It just mm. is the straightest gas I've ever seen. And <laughs> Guys can really time that. Well, I mean, there's also Willie Peralta, but although his is more, his is more no command, not yeah. I think that, that's more his issue. Straightness. Um, who's the other guy? Was it Axford who used to throw really straight fastballs? Try to remember another. There was another Brewers pitcher who had the same criticism. Um, I, I Axford had a pretty straight fastball. Um, I feel like they have a type that does that a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't remember if Turnbow's was or not. I mainly just remember him not being able to locate his curve, slurve ball, whatever it was. <laughs> um, no, okay, so I totally hear you. But um, let's talk about what if it was just a starting pitcher, right? But we're just evaluating between the first two buckets that I talked about. So you have Sonny Gray versus, gosh, pick a rental starting pitcher. Um, so your options <laughs> are uh, you can trade let's say um, Luis Ortiz and Corey Ray and some other prospect for Sonny Gray, or um, you don't trade Luis Ortiz or Corey Ray. It's only, you only trade one of them plus another prospect for a rental starting pitcher, right? Now your um, um, case for getting Sonny Gray was, look, if the Brewers don't compete this year, they can turn him around over the off season or trade deadline next year and uh, still trade him right yep that's the surplus value there but if you get a rental starting pitcher um you have a prospect you didn't trade away and that prospect is somebody that you can use as a chip in the same way that you could have used Sonny gray's remaining years next year um so without being a specific name is there like (laughs) is there a preference that you have over getting a controllable starting pitcher versus a rental starting pitcher I would I would much rather have the controllable, yeah, almost for sure. Um, maybe there's a name that could sway me. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Mm. But uh, I, I think there's just a lot of value in that team-controlled pitcher, and I, I think it makes you very much more likely to win. And I think when it, it all shakes out, you won't have lost that much value. If you mm. keep him, it means things went really well. If you right. If you deal him, 
I, you'll probably recoup three-fourths of what you gave up. I mean, there's always the chance that Sonny Gray can explode too. He's a small guy. Sure, it's sure, been, sure, sure. been pointed out to me many times. He is he is his own injury risks as well. But um, but look, I mean, that could be... That's, the, happened, that's true of almost right. anybody. And, and for all intents and purposes, for the, 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 the two com- cases that I compared, you could say that the prospect that the Brewers didn't give up by just getting a rental has the same amount of chance of blowing up and not you know, making it right. So yep. there's always a chance that, that, that happens. Um, that's not what I'm concerned about. That's, that's interesting. The, the, my view on this has changed a little bit as well. Yeah. And maybe that, um, maybe that's a knock against my view generally <laughs> because my view has changed in the past week. I do think that standings matter, especially in this time of the year. And uh, you know, the reason teams wait so long before the, uh, as late as they can before making a lot of big moves. Although a lot of big moves have happened this year, you know. Um, but uh, you'll see on the trade deadline, usually it's the day of, it's bananas, right? You know, teams are going all over the place. And I think the reason they wait that long is because of information. The more amount of information that you have, not just about players, but about where you are in the standings, where your plan is, the more valuable it is. Oh, that, that's definitely the case. That's... Um, and, it happens yeah. in all all walks of life whenever big deals are to be made and right. baseball is no different. You want the most information you can have. Like you want to give Sonny Gray a chance to blow out his elbow before you trade for him. You want, <laughs> you want to see more prospects. You want right. to know, know where you're going to be. Um, well, I think especially if you're going to get a rental, right? I think yes, especially if you're going to get a rental. If my point has been, if the brewers have a rebuilding plan, and I'm assuming that they were as surprised by this year's results as I am. Now they might not be, they might be in your boat, right. And they might not be as surprised. And then in that case, this is, you know, part of the plan. Um, But if they're as surprised as I am, then I would say, look, I'm not sure if this team of Travis Shaw and Hernan Perez can uh, be five games ahead of the Cubs next year, uh, even with really even with Sonny Gray on the team. So let's keep our rebuilding plan the way it was as much as possible. Keep the farm intact as much as possible um, while still trading for value this year. Um, and Pat Nishik comes to mind for that. And Pat Nishik especially. Again, maybe I'm going too far into detailed marginal <laughs> value, but. You know, Brewers played the Phillies like six games or they played in three games and now there's going to be three more games. I mean, I think the, these things start mattering a little bit at the margins where you're like, look, six games that you could have had Pat Nishek instead of your opponent, that makes a little bit of a difference too. It does. And you hit a sweet spot with me there. Uh, Pat Nishek bugs the heck out of me when he's on any other team. And I would love to have him just for that reason. Um, <laughs> just, so he, just so the Brewers hitters don't have to face him, right? Yep. Yeah. Especially when he was a cardinal. Man, that guy was annoying. <laughs> but I, I think the point that probably you would agree with me on this is it all kind of depends on the actual trade itself, right? A lot of this is we don't work theory crafting and saying, oh, what about this hypothetical scenario or that hypothetical scenario? But you yeah. don't really know until you see the actual trade happen. And even then, obviously, you and I don't have as much information as the teams do. But no, I mean, we have no idea. And then once you see what, what the trades are, then your information changes completely because then you also know who the Brewers may be valued a little less and who the other team may be valued a little more. Mm-hmm. And that changes my view of, of prospects too. Like, okay, maybe they weren't quite as high on him as I expected. Maybe, I mean, sure. you know, sometimes you just have to give a good prospect away, but right. um, it, that, that's the other thing is the team is revealing a little bit about, about itself and doing so too. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for us because we don't know where the mismatch was, right? Like it's possible Corey Ray is number 12 on David Stearns's list yep. and is number one on, you know, Billy Bean's list. And then if that were the case, I'd say, no, no, trade him now. Uh, Cause 12 versus one, that's a lot of surplus value you're going to get. Um, but, but we, but even when the trade does happen, we only know that, okay, there was some differential there that we don't know. We don't know exactly which way the differential went. Um, yeah. And, uh, but did the, did the Jose Quintana trade um, give you any pause at all about getting Sonny Gray? Not really. Um, yeah. the, the Cubs 
have, their whole offense is under 27. There is no reason for them not to unload their farm system to get pitching. Mm. They, everybody's blocked. Like literally everyone who plays a position on the Cubs is blocked. Mm. They, they're, they're all young. They're all cost controlled. They're not going anywhere for at least two or three years minimum for even the old guys. So it didn't really give me pause. There's, there's not a lot of places for that. There was one pitcher in that trade, right? But like Eli, he's not playing anywhere. So mm. it didn't really give me pause. That's what the Cubs have planned to do. It's what they're going to do. That's how they're going to get pitching. That's, you, think, you think the Cubs overpaid a little bit compared to the market, but that's okay for them? I guess, maybe a little bit. But I think it doesn't hurt them at all to have done so. Right, right, right. Like a good decision for the Cubs, but you're saying you, in a vacuum, you would think that's a little bit of an overpay? I guess so, but it's one of those things where, like, in a vacuum, I don't know that it's possible to evaluate what that even means. I yeah, mean, true. Who, who knows what the second best bid for him was? Mm-hmm. Uh, they may have just eked it out for all we know. Yeah, winner's curse. I guess you never know what the yep. second second best thing was. Um, are there any particular prospects on the Brewers farm system that you would rather keep? Um I don't really have any untouchables just because of it's very deal dependent. Mm-hmm. I, I, I will say... I like Hater better than any any other pitcher they have by quite a bit. Why? I um, think he has the best stuff. I I can kind of see the 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 couple of sale comparisons you get with him every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think he's one of the only ones who has like actual ace potential. Not that he'll get there, but I, I think he could be the actual leader of the staff. And mm-hmm. I don't really see that with anybody else. So, is it um, weird to have a like a future number one ace being the bullpen for this long it is which yeah. may, it, that may make me that may make me wrong um as well <laughs> but it, it's not a bad developmental process as well mm-hmm. to to bring a guy up for a little bit and get him some experience against big league hitters and you know not tax his arm like you will starting yeah especially with hater he's always had a bit of a, a an injury bug looming over him just based on his stuff and frame and all that Right, he's a tall dude, huh? Yeah, I, I will say, unlike a lot of people, I, I'm actually willing to part with Brinson. I mm-hmm. I think he's going to take longer to develop than people think. He kind of reminds me of Carlos Gomez, and Brewer fans hearing that maybe, might be like, oh, great, that's awesome. Except yeah, that right. Carlos Gomez was on many teams before he was on the Brewers, and um, I've, I've also watched a lot of Twins games in my day, and when he was on the Twins, he was just terrible. And right. um, I think he will develop power at some point and better contact, but... I think he's more of a long-term project and that's fine. If they want to keep him, I do think he'll turn around eventually, but I don't think you'll necessarily get your sort of full six year value with him. Mm-hmm. I'd almost rather have him on his second contract. Yeah. I was going to say the best time to trade Gomez would have was when he was a prospect or, you know, when the Brewers traded him at 28 or 29 or whatever it was um, after he was done developing and turned into a stud. Yep. And then, not not as much anymore so it's like the perfect time to have carlos gomez and then and then retrade him yeah they got the best they could out of him right for sure um you know what's surprising about the brewers team that i part of my continued surprise about how good they are is if you look at the all-star game which i know is not a super huge indicator for anything you know it's very market dependent and fan vote driven and all that but not a single brewer played in the all-star game and only Corey Knebel was on the roster, if I'm not mistaken. You are correct. And um, so it's a little bit weird for a team that's leading a division. It, it's strange. I think I saw, I saw a stat that it hadn't happened in, I think, eight years. I think maybe the Angels had that happen to them in like 2008, 2009. But um, it's been a while. It's very rare. And I, I do think it's just a lot of sort of bad luck. But I, I think if they played in a bigger market, like seven or eight of them would have made it. Yeah, but see, so, that's, what, but that's what I'm saying is I think that I, I saw that and my first reaction was, well, this is weird and ridiculous. And then I looked through the roster again and I was like, actually, there isn't like a guy on the roster that I would fight for. Oh, I agree. Yeah. No, nobody got snubbed. They, yeah, nobody they, got was... snubbed. There, was, there wasn't anybody that was like, oh, well, you know... Um, uh, I'm going to go online and vote 35 times because this guy deserves to be on the roster. I didn't vote at all. I was like, maybe, that, I mean, that's a testament to how balanced the roster is, right? On the positive side. It is. Um, 
Yeah, but I mean, the other example, so if you just talk about that being fan-driven, uh, if you read Dave Cameron on Fangraphs, he has a, um, a trade value list every trade season, which is just uh, 50 most valuable players based on their trade value. It's kind of a weird way of thinking about it, but um, it's, you know, Mike Trout's number one on there most of the time. Um, so that gives you an idea. Somebody who's just really, really good and young and all that. Yep. And Eric Thames was on an honorable mention and no other brewer was on a top 50, which there's almost always somebody. There's always like a Gomez or a Lucroy or even Braun sometimes. Yep. I don't think Braun's been on there for a while probably because of the contract. Probably not. But, but, you know, generally there's somebody on there that's like, okay, yeah, this is the guy who's, you know, young and a stud and nobody. And again, I found myself being like, you know, that's okay. Like, I don't really disagree with Dave Cameron on this one. I don't disagree with him at all. Uh, just going through it in my head right now, like, who, who would it be? Arcia is probably the closest one, but... Arcia would be maybe next year. I, mean, I think next year he's probably going to crack it, but, he, you know, he's still not the greatest offensive shortstop ever, right. even though his defense is great. But right. all the best hitters are older or have flaws. Like Domingo Santana is hitting really well, but mm -hmm. he's a terrible defensive player. Not and that's good, always going to yep. bring him down. Yep. And Shaw, who they just traded for, I think he's 27, right? And um, they're like, they're, I think there were like five third basemen who were legitimately better than him in the National League. Right, right. So that's just how it goes. And they have a good balanced team. It's a weird mix of flawed and older and still developing. Maybe Chase Anderson, if he... Uh Continues. I mean, if he comes back and continues to pitch really well, uh, maybe. Maybe. I, I don't right, really so. see it. <laughs> Here we are, fans of the team, being like, you know what? I mean, maybe uh, Jimmy Nelson more than maybe. Maybe Jimmy Nelson. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, jo uh, Hater, if he makes it, uh, if he starts this year and does well. Yeah. Um, but does that tell you anything? I mean, other than the entertainment value of it, does it inform you at all about like? what this team is like and how you know, I think what it tells what it tells you is how unusual their player acquisition was to create this team that mm -hmm. you have a first place team made up of guys who in the view of the market and you know some experts isn't that valuable <laughs> um and that's 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 legitimately strange it, it it's a, it is a testament to Stearns that he was able to do it but um it, it also means that, you know, on the looking forward side of that, that you might not have that much to trade away on the team. So it tells you that too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, imagine if the Brewers were 10, 15 games down, right? And they were sellers. I mean, who would they sell? Corey Knebel? And, okay. You sell Knebel, you try and sell Braun, you try and capitalize on Thames, um, you know, fast start. And, you know, he's, he's controlled for it. His contract's great. He's actually kind of a prospect to some yeah. extent i feel like fames wouldn't I, I i hear you i think for braun they could probably get you know equal value yeah um you know just some decent value uh depending on how much money they eat and uh definitely knievel i'm not sure if fames would get traded honestly because he's just at that point where it makes more sense for the brewers to believe in him continue well than for somebody else to say Hey, we really liked his April and is are going to pay him you know, eighty percent of the value he was worth in April. Yeah, you're, uh, you're probably right. But 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 anyway, the point being that it, it's almost it's kind of fortunate that they are in the position they are as as buyers because of the way the roster is constructed. There there is some truth to that. It, it it's weird for them not to have some sort of aging good veterans. It's all it's all a weird mishmash. Yeah, and even even like some of the players who are good. I mean, I, this is a weird way of phrasing it, but I was looking at the roster and thinking, what other quote-unquote rebuilding team who's on the upswing, right, starting to win again, has this many 30-year-olds that weren't free agents before, right? So like they, they were on the waiver wire or whatever. And... Um, it's just something that you don't see very often. It is. It, look, like, take Eric Sogard, who's like their fourth most valuable player, and no one's going to give you anything for him. He's been he's been bad most of the time. <laughs> but one of the reasons they're winning is because he's what he's got like a four hundred on base percentage. Right. 
Yeah, I'll have um, four hit games every once in a while and just we need a game or something. Um, so I wanted to end with a little bit of group therapy. Okay. Well, on two things. One thing, I know that you wanted to talk about RBI baseball. I do. I do want to talk about that. Um, so why don't, why don't you talk about that first? Okay. So um, I, I want to use this platform briefly to complain about the modern remake of RBI baseball and how ill-conceived it is and how awful it is. So um, RBI baseball is one of the first Nintendo Entertainment System baseball games. I think it was released in 1986 in America. Uh, in Japan, it's known as Family Stadium. There are a bunch of sequels to it. It is beloved by people my age and um, around my age. Um, and it is a simple game with simple graphics, and people still play it to this day, along the lines of how people still sort of play Tecmo Super Bowl to this day. Mm-hmm. And last year, I think it was last year, maybe it's two years now, but um, a company bought the rights to it, and with Major League Baseball's assistance, so it has actual rosters, remade it. And they just did an awful job because they totally missed what makes RBA baseball good. And so it, RBA baseball has very cartoony 8-bit graphics. The new one has guys who look like guys, but not good enough. So they're in that sort of weird, uncanny valley. It's not modern computer or video game graphics. It is sort of ugly halfway there. The gameplay is worse, and it doesn't capture anything that people loved about it. And it also has no ability to appeal to younger people because it's ugly. It is two generations old, ugly graphics. And if they had just literally taken a ROM off of a file sharing website illegally and updated the (laughs) rosters on it, they would have sold 10 times as many of these. Like if you take RBI baseball and give it online play, you'll, you'll sell just a fortune of them. And especially with baseball's participation with pot, with rosters updating, it's like a gold mine. It's, it makes me mad that they screwed it up because they could have made so much money. And you know, they probably still made a lot of money because I know that people, I bought it. I I wanted to try it out, but like, I'm angry at them for getting it so wrong. Right. And, and, and by the way, if anybody from the NFL is listening, you should do the same thing with Tecmo Super Bowl and also not update it because <laughs> there are sites that do that and it's super popular and illegal and you should make a legit version because that would also sell a billion copies. Yeah, so anyway. Pay the guys who are making that illegally anyway and yes. pay them a little bit of money and they'll make a legit version for you. That happens a lot, by the way. A, yeah. a lot of times um, fan updates and whatnot get bought out by the real people and turned into real games. Hmm. So um, I see a commercial for this all the time watching baseball. Um, it makes me sick every time I see it. So don't buy it. Uh, write them angry letters. Tell them to put in an original graphics mode and an original gameplay mode. And maybe they'll actually get this right someday. And it was just announced it's coming to Switch. And that makes me even matter because the Switch is like the perfect platform to play this on if it were any good. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's the end of my rant. And please fix RBI baseball. All right, we'll get that. We'll get that onto the commission <laughs> as soon as possible. Um, the other, okay. So I need some group therapy, I guess, also on the state of Brewers baseball in the past week. I mean, we, <laughs> I I tried not to get into it right away in the podcast. I wanted to focus on the larger picture, which we did, and all that. But man, it just sucks. Like I know we we all try to be like smart fans, and it's fun to analyze the stats and all that, but. When the Brewers lose five in a row and the Cubs win six in a row, there's no other way to put it. It just sucks. Yeah, it sucks. And um, we, can, we can be like, oh, it's baseball. We slump, blah, 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 blah. But I, it's worse with the Brewers team. And um, it, it, one of the things about competing, like being a surprise competitor is that you're always sort of hanging by a thread because mm-hmm. I think we all know a lot has gone right. Like Travis Shaw and Eric Dames and Eric Sogard and all these guys have gone right. And then all of a sudden you get Steven Vogt's knee torn up and you get Eric Sogard not recovering. And by the way, this is, this is a superstitious nonsense thing I'm about to say, but I'll bet this injury turns Eric Sogard back into Eric Sogard. And Uh, that's bad too. Um, And you know, Thames is starting to not be able to make contact. Like all these things are going badly, but they're, it's not like, necessarily just a slump it's all the things you kind of thought maybe were true in the first place that makes it worse that's much right. worse yeah and it's 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 a thing where like if you know like if you're a cubs fan and you kind of know in your heart in your mind that the team's actually good and they're just slumping and you go on baseball prospectus and you can look at you know different stats and third order winning percentage and all yeah. that and just kind of console yourself a little bit uh 
And she went on the baseball respectus and it was like, Brewers are outplaying their record by four games compared to the Pythagorean. I was like, I, I, I don't want to hear about this. No, I don't. <laughs> this is awful. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess the only solace I can give myself and to you and other people is like exactly what you said at the beginning of the segment, which is that it's baseball and this does happen. And even if we were just literally flipping coins, then you could get five heads in a row and I could get five tails in a row. And uh, it's just a thing that happens every once in a while. It is. And I mean, obviously they'll win more games. I will say the other thing that depressed me was looking at their schedule versus the Cubs schedule. And, you know, I, I'm sure Prospectus actually has our schedules ranked and I didn't look at that. I just kind of eyeballed opponents and mm-hmm. homes in a way. And this is probably just negative fan bias, but the Brewers schedule looks so much harder than the oh, Cubs yeah. schedule does. Paul, we're supposed to be, this is a pickup portion now. Sorry. Done, done with the down. Wait, okay. So I'll, maybe I'll try to do one more positive one, okay? Which is... Yep. I haven't seen any of the players necessary. And I think Craig Council was saying this. There's no actual indication when you watch the games that the Brewers are all of a sudden bad now. That's a good point. And it's, actually, this whole... It's not only true of any losing streak, but like, yeah. I think it's especially true of this team. Like, there hasn't been a big player that was injured. I mean, Steven Vogt, but like, that's okay. Um, you know, and there hasn't been anybody who just uh, uh, it hasn't been like blown out blow out you know eight nothing games or anything like that so uh, yeah, they've actually pitched pretty well over this losing streak it's been yeah. the offense that's really done them in and even when they've given up runs like the the pirates just had what did they have like 12 blue pits in that series it was so obnoxious yeah it, it was totally a luck which a luck look. series Eric Sogard did that for a while. <laughs> but, okay, fair, fair point. But but no no no, I hear you. Yeah, it's 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 one of those where you're like, okay, well, it, you know, I don't have anyone to blame, which is in a way a good thing, right? Like you check the box score when they lose by two runs, and you're like, all right, who's the dude who gave up for a four run homer? Fire him immediately. Trade for Sonny Gray. But. Uh, it's like, okay, well, all right, this guy gave up one run here, and then, oh, okay, yeah, this was a blue pit there. And Travis Shaw got hit by a baseball, but not really. But, like, yeah, not really, and that really wasn't a strike, and then Travis Shaw got thrown out. And uh, There's little things like that that you're like, okay, let's just let's get out of pit. Let's move on, yeah. yeah let's like go that. play the Phillies again. That'll cure, <laughs> that, that'll that cure was, what ails you. <laughs> that was fun. Um, okay, all right, well, Paul, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Vanit. Let's talk again when uh, Sonny Gray is in Brewer's uniform. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.